I'm Michael Goldlist. And I'm Zachary Florence. And this is Walk Left, the podcast. And I'm Marty Chidorek. Thanks for joining us. So, Workhouse Theatre has a production coming up, Gwen Powers, mm-hmm. and I'm very pleased to be joined by the playwright and director. Just jumping in here, somebody goes and visits WorkhouseTheatre.com, they're like, what's this show about? And the sense that I get, anyway, is it's one of those sort of, the way it's sort of been set up, young female, hero, anti-hero, and it's kind of, it, I, got, I got sort of a sense of like a doubt Lolita vibe. Tell, tell, tell me about the show. Am I way off base? Are your publicity people doing a good job? You're not way off base, but you're, you're way off base. No, you're not way off I base. I like it. I like it. I don't know. We don't know how to sell the show. We don't have an elevator pitch for the show. There's been nothing like this ever in the history of the world. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but um, it, it, it isn't really. I mean, obviously, uh, the, the shows that people, that people have compared it to, Oleana is another one I've heard, and I don't think it's anything like Oleana, not even remotely. Um, so I don't know exactly what it's like. I'm, maybe it's because I haven't totally ripped it off from somebody else. Probably only just partially ripped off things from here and there. So well, it's a it's it's a recognizable premise. I mean, if you if you break it down to its you know its logline, you know, seventeen year old student, thirty year old teacher, what's gonna happen? But that only gets people in the door. That's not what they're gonna be sitting there experiencing. It's something much more unsettling than that, yeah. and something and something much more human, and sensitive, and empathetic. And, uh, and Mike's just written an extraordinary play, and uh, and so I, I so I so we know that that's what people are going to come in with, where they're going to, what they're going to experience. There's there's a, a suspense plot, I guess, between them. You know, something may have happened between these two individuals. What may have happened, mm-hmm. but that's not the sum total of the. Yeah, it's a, it takes place, it's a play that takes place in Toronto, very much it takes place in Toronto, very much it takes place now in Toronto, in the ninth of the season show. That's really important to both of us, really important to me in the play, because uh, it, Toronto's uh, sort of a character in it, I guess you could say. So yeah, okay, that's the other character. And also there's another character. <laughs> it's a three-hander play without Toronto, so there's also the vice principal of the school. So it's a teacher, his student... Who's Gwen Powers? That's the she got the title role. Is the Anna Karenina and uh, the vice principal of the school, who's friends with the teacher. That's it. that's all we give away. All right. <laughs> I don't think. I wonder. This is what I'm really curious. Some people have read it, and they're like, "What's really shocking? It's kind of shocking theater." And I was like, "Really? It's not blasted. It's not <laughs> like no like honestly, nobody sucks an eyeball at anybody's yeah. head. I don't think. I didn't think it was shocking. I certainly and I." I swear up and down I did not sit down to write anything that was remotely shocking or moral or preachy from one side or the other I didn't even it was only sort of halfway through was I like oh you know some people might because it it covers topics of sexuality it has drugs and it has rock and roll sex drugs and rock and roll the three best things but it's not you know I didn't I don't think it's like that sort of play but you know what some people might might offend some people but a little controversy is a good thing yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to be terrible. No, no, but but the, but the reason, but but that's because you 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 take us all to some some uncomfortable, at least some difficult places with a real sort of open heart and a and a gentle guidance. And and just, I, if people are shocked, it's going to be at what teenagers are up to these days. Like that's that's the shocking thing. It's not about what may or may not happen between these two individuals. Yeah. It's this is what your kids are up to. Yeah, as more more broadly. If Kenneth Lonergan hadn't 
already named a play this is our youth and it wasn't the best play in the world which it is and he is amazing and he's i would have loved that title for this play because i mean it's just what a statement like this is our youth and here they are yeah and you can't look away and and yeah and i think you can't i hope anyway so you're dealing with a 17 year old title character a female and sort of a natural question that might come up is you know you're obviously a male playwright is that anything that you Obviously, were? Thank well, you. well, okay. Was I mean, it the beard? I, uh, I'm so gender normative. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, come on. Shame on me. Who, who knows what's inside? It's. A, I know exactly where you're going. But there's a there's a 17 year old girl inside, apparently. Yeah. Well, there's there's well there's, there should be inside every playwright. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the particular brand of genius that playwrights have. They can they can be other people better than. The rest of, or rather, and write it down better than the rest of it. But it's such an easy criticism. Oh, yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And I bet, I bet someone will. But I've thought about that. And actually, when you sit down to write someone, well, I'm an actor. I was trained as an actor. I'm still an active actor. I act. Can we conjugate that in a different way? And and you know, one thing I did a play on Bowen Island outside of Vancouver, a play called Strange Snow, where uh, these people are Vietnam War vets. And it's a great play, and we were very excited to put it up. I put it up um, at the company called Stray Dog Theater. And we were really excited about it. And it's a funny play, and it's sad. And uh, the director said, he's like, just so you know, one of the guys who's going to come tonight is a friend of the family. He's a Vietnam War vet. He was in Vietnam. In the play, it deals with the loss of a friend in Vietnam. He's like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't know his life stories. He lost friends in Vietnam. And backstage, I was like, this this is going to mean something to someone who's going to, you know, and I just, I just got back from New York where I played Constantine and the Seagull. And you, who knows who's in the audience who has a friend or a brother or a sister or a father or mother kill themselves. It's a play about suicide right. to some people. And so you can't, so every draft that I wrote with Gwen Powers, I tried to say, be, have an open heart with her and, and understand that she's, a, she, your characters are human beings because even if, they're not on the page. They will be filled by a human being who's an actor, and they will be seen by human beings, and things will resonate. And you can't take for granted anyone's experience. So that that helped me. And and Gwen, as a character, has a right to express herself. Yeah, through through whatever means she's she's been created. And there's tons of Mike in Gwen, I'm sure. Uh, tons. There's tons of Mike in in all his characters. Uh, there's not more more of Mike and the male characters or the ones who are more his age or more his height or... Gwen's more like me than the character who's 30 years old and plays guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. But yeah, she's she's more like me in some ways. But that's because you've tapped into something really, um, dare I say, really true, I think, about young people and their experience of the world and how they express themselves and that that horrible age between you know 13 and 18 where you're not a child and you're not an adult and what the hell are you and what do you do and how do you negotiate a world where you're you keep being told no to things no you can't be this no you're you don't have the right to this it's it's something that that you have experienced that i've experienced that you know it's and and sometimes i think writing you know a, a character who's maybe a little more a little more distant from you on, on the surface is a really can, can stretch you further. I think I think Mike had to work really hard, even though it, I know it came really sort of quickly and, and dare I say naturally her her voice. But 
it's a it's a risk on your part. Yeah, it's a huge risk on my part, and I guess that's like that's exciting. It's a great challenge for me to write a seventeen year old girl and, and have people say that rang true. And you know, and if it, people come up and say, but if it's people come up to me and say no, it didn't, then I'll have to take that and I'll have to be like, wow, I guess you know. But um, just because everyone you write is not you, even if there's bits of you. So as a playwright. And as an actor, you have to do things that aren't you. So if you're not willing to get into the shoes of, of all sorts of people in all sorts of situations, I like wrote, what? I wrote a, like just I write a lot of exercises for myself. I give myself tasks. I wrote a point of view from of Jay Z like yesterday because I was like I just had a thought like how what is Jay Z doing today? Because I saw him at the All Star Game with Beyonce. He's like, Man, what a life this guy has. And it's, you know, I'm not saying that I tapped into his voice, but it's my job to try to imagine what it's like to be Jay-Z, both as an actor and a playwright. It's like, they have that exactly in common. In the theater, you have to try to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And then the funny thing is you bring parts of yourself to it and they pop up. Your own egotism, your own uh, d- desire to sleep with Beyonce or whatever it is. <laughs> you find things in yourself that you imagine maybe resonate with someone you're writing about and maybe don't. And so that's why, that's why it would be difficult that's why people like biopics. They love seeing actors step into the shoes. And the truth is, it doesn't matter if, if that's what that person was thinking. Like, nobody cares if Frank Langella, if, if Richard Nixon would watch Frank Langella and Frost Nixon and be like, that's what I was thinking. Who cares? We watch it and we're excited by someone being someone who they're really not. It's the magic of theater and film. Speaking of that magic, how, how has this process been for you as the director? Like, how early on were you exposed to uh, a draft of this uh, play? Early, but not too early, which I think is is the best kind of a relationship with a playwright and a director. Mike, it had come uh, by the time I read it at first, and we met about it. It had been through a number of drafts. I think they'd even done. You guys had done a workshop, right, or a, or a reading or something. Yeah, we, we there, there was something where it was of it, the it was first three public, scenes, yeah. which which had been so rewritten that they're somewhat unrecognizable. Thankfully, because they weren't very good. And I and I wasn't there for, and I I, I must not have been in town or something. But um, maybe when you I just weren't invited, geez. maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and and then. Mike and I met about it, and I just—I was just knocked out by it. I was—I was, I think it's—it's it's an extraordinary play. It's—it's it's rare that something crosses my desk or any young director's desk that's really just fresh and exciting and is a real page turner, and is theatrically potent, and is topical and difficult and yet really simple. All these—all these wonderful things, and I was just so fortunate that uh, that Mike and the Workhouse crew invited me along. Uh, it's it's been really extraordinary. Zach was really um, important in dramaturgy because as I was writing draft after draft after draft and throwing stuff out, Zach was so wonderful in asking the right questions and so he's very nurtured with writers. He understands that <laughs> you have to be careful with those because we're so giving someone a draft of your work is kind of really intense. And so I think Zach has that innately. He was very easy because I think some of the drafts I know he says they're good. I think that they were not as good, and he was asked such great questions, and then the play just started. It was rewritten, not written. And as I started rewriting and rewriting, I never thought I would have to write more than four drafts because I guess I'm kind of egotistical. And by the fourth draft, I was like, this is fine. This is perfect. This is, just put it up now. <laughs> but then, you know, he asked, well, what about this? What about this? And then it's like draft 11, draft 15, draft 21. And then it's like, wow. And then, then I look back and like the play had found itself somewhere without me in those drafts. It kind of found itself what it's about. And then it started becoming a process of cutting and tightening it. And suddenly I knew where it was going. And really, you know, so much of it by by the time that I came aboard, I think was making all of it as good as the best of it, and that and just really sort of pushing you to be just 
but every, every moment was was correct. But it was already doing that. Like I don't even know what I did. No, he was. You it know, wasn't it, doing it. He definitely. He definitely made me think through the characters' eyes even more than I had. It, it, it was. It was a really fun process. And yeah, I, I had a great time. I had. I had dreaded writing and rewriting, and then it became the best thing to do. I'd go down to my office and I, you know, I'd start blacking out stuff and writing, crossing out things, crossing out things, and that became the best part. So did you know where it was going from the beginning? I didn't. That was the most... I had written... I'd, I'd been writing scenes, like a scene a day for myself, just as exercises, you know, 90% of which, you know, could be thrown out. And I would just... Sometimes I'd hear overhear a line. Someone would say something in the subway, and I'd be like, well, what would this type of person respond to that? And it would sometimes just be a conversation. And it had been a scene that I wrote, and then wrote a couple more scenes... And so I had three scenes, the first three scenes that structurally have, have remained the same, but content-wise and character-wise have changed. And we put that up in a thing called Workplay, which was this sort of work in progress stuff that we did at Workplace Theater. And I had the first three scenes, I didn't know where it went. I didn't know what happened next. And a lot of people liked it, and people were like, no, it's good, it's going somewhere. And I was like, really? Where? <laughs> Can you tell me? If you know. <laughs> and I, was, I, I admonished myself because um, a lot of the playwrights I admired, I'd heard a playwright named Char White who were had to play the other place in on Broadway in New York. I heard him speak, and he said, "You know, as soon as I had the ending, I know I had the play." And I was like, "God, I don't have an ending. I'm a bad playwright." And at the ending is the most important part, so I heard, and I didn't have an ending. So I'm just trying to write the logical thing. Okay, so what happens next? And I'm just hoping desperately that an ending happens. And then after you know, just try. I wrote it literally, linearly, scene after scene, and then finally, like a shot, it finally hit me what happens in the end. And then I sort of rewrote the play from the light in the end. So the truth is I did follow that advice because the end still guided it. But you just I had to just, write the rest of the play first. Yeah, just, I had to write the rest <laughs> of the play first. And then I had to throw it up because it was just all these, it's like it was like a choose-your-own-adventure and only one of the last pages was the right page. So I just had to keep on going through it and tracing tracing my way you know, through a sewer system and the secret of Nim where they have that, they're trying to find nice. the right way out of the sewer system. They have that piece of rope and you get a dead end and you, you trace and, you, and then you start from the beginning and you get a dead end. And through all that, I was lucky to have uh, the characters' voices pretty clear. So it was easy to trash things. I knew, I knew when I didn't have it, which was actually, even though it was painful at the time, in retrospect, it was great. I'd be like, oh, I knew when I wrote a scene, I was like, nope, that's not it. And I could throw it out. But it's funny because you, you read it now and it really, it reads like it was written in one of these, like, you know, you hold yourself locked yourself away in a cabin in the woods and wrote for, sat in old typewriter for three hours with a whole bunch of booze and all of a sudden out it came perfectly formed. I know it's not like that, but it, it has that, it has that drive. It, it just hurdles along. It is such a page turner. And I, I'm hoping that's going to be the experience of the audience is it's just, they're going to be so swept up in it, this. It gets, it definitely goes, for, it has momentum. I mean, like I'm so sure about it and I don't, I do like tooting my own horn, but I, I wouldn't because I'd be worried. But I will say is I know the play has momentum. It's theater, and if, if something's not going to happen, if something's not about to happen, there's no point in watching it. It doesn't matter how clever the lines are. It doesn't matter how beautiful the staging. Something, something has to be happening. And the truth is, even in uh, Waiting for Godot, where supposedly nothing happens, it actually, everything's just about to happen. It just never does. That's right. the, the only trick right. of that play is that there is no ending. But other than that, it's heading towards a climax like a freight train. And it's actually a gripping piece of theater that just is sort of almost, it's just taped to the beginning at the end. Yeah. So it loops and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, but then it, it stops. So you're not too bored. It doesn't go through the whole play <laughs> twice or else you'd be like, okay, now this is genuinely not theatrical and I'm going to leave. So, I mean, it sounds like this is something uh, 
the story sounds like it's very much then driven by these characters. Did you find yourself getting into the heads of the others as much as Gwen? Or do you find that she was really a driving force? She for was it? the first one. She was the first one. And it was one of the, when I sort of finished one of the earlier drafts, and I think Zach said to me, he's like, you know, right now, one of the other characters isn't, isn't as full as she is, right? And that was sort of a, a great challenge. And I realized instantly. And then I, I would sit down and I'd be like, oh, you know what it is? Because I don't know this or I don't know this. And then the answer would more often than not kind of pop in my head. Oh, of course he likes. And it, the solution is just there the second I, I realize the problem. The realizing the problem is the... Is like, All the diagnosis. Yeah. You know, that's a, it's a weird thing about writing is editing. I learned this from the beautiful and lovely Kiara Kent, an amazing editor and just wonderful person, that that's, that's the work of the writers and the editing. You know, everyone says that Jack Kerouac wrote On the Road in one go with all the pages taped together. He wrote the first draft for it. And I've seen, I, I saw in the New York Public Library, they had an exhibit, and it showed the first page of the first draft. Half of the stuff is crossed off. Like, so he, you start from there, and then you work your butt off editing, 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 editing. And I learned that doing this play, and I'm like grateful that I learned that because it's like the key to writing. It's like you rewrite, you don't write. And, and, that's if, and if it's the right editing, it's actually a lot of fun because you're you're on a detective mission. You're you're hacking. You're exactly. holding, you're, you're working towards something, and it's and it slowly comes into focus. Yeah. And and when you get it, oh. And it is just like being an actor in a rehearsal room because you sit out there and you you're, your first question is how do I even enter this space? And then you're presented with this huge problem. You're like, oh my god. How do I enter this space? And then it's like, well, okay, okay, eventually you get something and you try to seem like that and then you have to throw out 50% of the stuff because it's garbage and then you get one thing and you're like, well, that was good. And you're like, well, where did that come from? And then you chase it down. So it is like, the redrafting is like rehearsing. Your first draft is like your first day of rehearsal. And it seems like... Why would anyone ever want to see that? Yeah, why would anyone ever want to see that? <laughs> and it seems like it's a really natural transition from being a dramaturge from a, for a playwright to then being a director. It's like that outside eye in the writing process turns into the outside eye for the actors. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's knowing what to say when. And so whether that's dealing with a playwright as you're, as you're working through your you know, second draft or the 12th draft, or whether it's speaking to an actor on the second day of rehearsal or the second week of rehearsal, you know, it's... It's all just information, you know, giving the right information or pro giving the right push at the right time and the right hints at the right time. And so now I'm just doing it with, with actors. I mean, it's, it is the same process and it's been a, a very continual process. We also have had the blessing of, um, I mean, three incredible actors and three really just enthusiastic and flexible actors. And, they've and given smart. Us, and actors. smart as all hell. And they've given us a number of readings over a number of months. And so we've really, in addition to all the work Mike's been doing every now and then, we'd be able to take it into room with them and, um, and hear it. And that, I mean, never mind any notes I had. Those were your notes. It was just, yeah, it's, was just it's hearing incredible. it. So they've been living with it for a while, too. Uh, so we've all been sort of on this journey together. So now it's, now there's just the, what we're aiming for changes because now it's just about, you know, putting it up on its feet and making decisions about, how to how to convey what we think the play is about to an audience. You make an interesting point because I feel like one of the things lacking. It sounds like you've all had a time I, to really inhabit you know what? this. I'm, other than Mike's writing, if if this play works better than your average play, the reason will be just we took the time and we used the time well. Um, nobody, especially in this country, nobody has enough time. And it's hard to make good theater. It's hard. It's hard to make good any art. And it requires, and if you, if, if you have a short period of time, 
you best be working with people you know really well because that's the only way to get a shorthand. Now, if, you, if you're in a company of actors that knows each other, you can put something on in two weeks because you have a shorthand. Work's been done, yeah. but it's just, it's just hard. And I mean, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, we're in a we're in a we're making theater in an environment where every extra hour is like a huge bonus. You know, you get an extra week, you get an extra two weeks. It's like you've doubled your time. Right. And you know, of course, now the Russians look at this and think, well, they haven't spent two years on this. So yeah, what, what do is, they what know? Is, they haven't even. <laughs> they're not even. They're not even crawling yet. They're not even crawling. Uh, and and they're right. They're absolutely right. And you know, as Mike said, in terms of if you if you've got a quick process, there's a. It has to be people you know because you have the shorthand. But there's a real danger in the shorthand. There's so much, so many missteps people make in making theater. I think are skipping steps, and and not taking the time. You know, in a time in this case, yes, it's more hours. Hopefully, not too many more hours, but more hours. But it's also when those hours happened, and about all the other hours that happened between. That there's just so many, so much time for percolation, for thinking, for rethinking, for questioning, for. We're going through just a lengthy process that doesn't all have to happen in the rehearsal room. In fact, a lot of the best parts, certainly in the earlier stages, don't happen in the rehearsal room. And then you bring it into the room and you constantly just reinvigorate each other. And this is a group of people who have, some of whom have worked together before, some of whom have worked together a lot before, and some of whom are working together for the first time. So it really, for me, the best thing is a mixture of the old and the new, the, the familiar and the new. Right. And, and I think we've, we've managed that, but we can only do that and work as efficiently as we're working because of the time we've had and the time everyone's willing to put in. But we're like number two, three, five drafts ahead of most plays that get up here because they don't have the time. Have you identified for yourself as the director like your greatest challenge in this process or is um, that... I, I think whenever you're working on a new play it's always just doing justice to the play. Um, that, that sounds kind of trite but it's Mike has given us such an incredible gift, and it's it's such a a vulnerable, um, risky thing that he's doing, writing words down and giving them to other people to say, and and to to make into a into a theatrical evening. I feel a, and I think we all feel a really um, awesome sense of responsibility. Now that also happens to be really just fun and, and thrilling and terrifying and and all of that. But I mean, so so yeah, I. I, I worry about giving him the production that his play deserves. I, and I hope we will. He, he will. <laughs> I'm confident in that. I'm confident. Because I've known, I've known Zach since... We go back. We go way back. Grade 9. Claude Watson. Claude Watson School for the Arts. North York. Willowdale, Ontario. Willow. And, and... <laughs> Willowdale. <laughs> How have how you found the transition from your sort of acting background as a playwright through this process? Um, it's been it's been great. I mean, there's a lot of things that they have in common. Like I said, tracing a character, trying to figure out the logic of what happens here. But I also maybe this is my first play that I that I wrote also with a specific idea that it's going to be put up. I've written a lot of things. I've written fiction, but all of it was for me. So it never had to be. If it wasn't good, I was like, oh, it's not good. And I just didn't look at it, so who cares? So this is something that also I knew sort of early on, right after we did the work play reading of the first three scenes, it was like, this. if I finish this and if it goes somewhere, it will be on stage. So I had, uh, I was responsible for it. So I think I used to take my writing a little bit, I would never walk into a rehearsal room as an actor not warmed up and ready to go. But I used to sit down and think I could write, and I'd look at the page and be like, I don't know what to write. Now, like, I never start writing without 20 minutes of 
I just I just warm up writing. I write I give myself whatever warm ups. Uh, I just write sometimes. I just write stream of consciousness. I write down a dream. I try to describe something just because if I I I'm not doing justice in my writing if I don't warm up. Like, do I think I'm that good? I can sit down and write a good sentence without you know. I would never do that as an actor. I would never even think to do that as an actor. But I did that as a writer. So I guess I tried to take some of the diligence that I took me a long time to learn as an actor. So I'm pretty lazy. I'm now not a lazy actor, so I'm trying to be like, I have to be the type of writer that I, I want to be as an actor, you know, that type of person that puts everything into it. The, the type of writer that you as an actor would want to have handing yeah, you the script. Yeah, yeah, the type of, and then that's the other thing, of course, that's the, the great other thing, is I can also look at things with an actor's eyes, and actors are, actors are great. They tell you so much stuff, and, and I've worked, I went to the, the New School for Drama in New York, and there was a playwriting program and a director's program, so I worked with new plays by young playwrights. And the ones that listen to the actors, well, their stuff was great because we're in it. Actors are in it. They're on stage. They have to say the line. They have to do these things. They, they have to build a coherent, logical world. They just have to build a world. Especially when it's not there on the page. Yeah. Right. And, and the best thing is like now there's three characters in this play and they're all major characters. But the best thing is like when you have a small character in a play as an actor, you know what they always say, like you're the, you're the servant. You're the guy who comes in and tells um, Macbeth that uh, Dunsinane Woods are coming, you know, yeah. and so Burnham people Woods ask, Burnham, Burnham, yeah, the Woods are coming, and people ask, like, what's the player in? It's like, well, it's about this guy who has to give this terrible news, right? That's, <laughs> that's the whole joke about actor, but it's true, so actors have a way of getting into even smaller characters or everything in a way that a player never could. So that, um, that, that just more made me just excited to give the play to the actors, because I can't act this because I'm the playwright. So I, I'm excited to hear from them. And I know that they're going to be able to kick. They're, they're going to find some lines. I'm sure that we'll cut a couple lines. That one of them will just be like, this is false. This is, she would never say this. And I'll trust them. Yeah. Because they or just or just as exciting, we don't need this because I'm conveying this information yeah, with this it. gesture or I'm already giving it here or mm-hmm. this look, of, you know. Or, or you know, like, the, I hope, I used to say this to playwrights all the time. Like, you know what my favorite line is? This and this line. And they're like, really? Oh, that was, I didn't even think that was a good line. And I was like, no, that's a good line. And the playwright would flash. I hope that happens to me. They're like, you know what my favorite <laughs> moment is? And I'm like, oh my God, that's so good. They have a favorite moment. Yeah, they have a favorite moment. But, yeah. but, I'll uh, say the, the, the interesting thing in rehearsal right now is everybody, all three of them have sort of been, been looking at the other parts. And something we'll, we'll be talking, we'll be working. And, and one of them will say, wow, that's so and so. That's a really great part. And it's not theirs. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, you know, and it's, and it's not that sort of actors, you know, they're all, they're all pretty even, like they're all really meaty full parts. So it's not, it's not that they're looking at this going, ooh, I, I, want, I want those lines. It's not, it's not an egotistical thing. It's, wow, this other person is so fully drawn and has, comes from such an interesting place. Because again, Mike's written a play with, you know, clear characters with clear wants and they just come into horrible, glorious conflict. Um, it's really simple. Yeah, it is. I think it's worked really hard to got, make it really yeah, simple. Yeah, it got more simple. That that's the other thing that made me happy. It made me at least know that I was drafting in the right direction. I was writing in the right direction when things were just getting a bit simpler and more streamlined. But but human desires are generally pretty simple. It's how we go about getting them that's really complicated. And oh, you've given oh. such breadth and and scope for people to do to go about achieving these simple things all sorts of ways. And there's a whole, you know, if people come back and see it a second time, the first time they're going to be so caught up in the, in the story. And, and They should see it a second like they, time. We've they should all, see it a second time. We've all decided this from the creative yeah. standpoint. Everyone should see the play twice. Yeah, I, I believe that. <laughs> um, but, but the second time, if they come back and, and get to focus on the, 
the why and the how, especially the how. Um, I think it's it's going to be such an interesting experience for them. I think there is so much depth, so much richness. So see the play twice. So, yeah. Open Powers is going to be on stage at the Theater of Passmore Backspace. Theater of Passmore Backspace, which is a great space for it. We're, I'm so thrilled. The play was made for the space. The space was made for the play. Yeah. And just the fact that it's the like it's Queen West and it's just it's the it's the right fit for it. It's really exciting. And you're previewing on March 21st, opening March 22nd, and, and running until April 6th. Really, on the usual Theater Pass Mariah schedule. That's... Yeah, all the information is um, www. I'm sure you don't have to type that in. <laughs> <laughs> Who types in www? HTTP colon backslash backslash www. Uh, workhousetheater.com, and then that'll have information, and people can buy tickets. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. Oh, we're thrilled. Thanks so much, Mike. We should do it again. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have an upcoming Toronto-based performing arts project or production, I want to talk to you about it. Visit walkleft.ca.